right, welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, October 21st, year of our Lord, 2021, high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We have got a Thursday show, I would say for the ages, but I don't know. There's no comparative analysis that can be done because we're going to do some things in tonight's show that I don't think we've ever done. Thematically, we have never done a show like this. It's not going to be that far off the rails. I'm still going to talk about what we're watching in week eight. They are trying to sell you, are the casuals, on the fact that this is a sleepy Saturday. They love alliteration, Colin. The casuals love alliteration. Well, uh, sleepy Saturday just normally means you get woken up in a complete and total panic when there's a big three-touchdown underdog about to pull an outright upset. Don't sleep on Saturdays. That's what God made Monday through Friday for. Don't sleep on Saturdays. We're going to talk about the LSU coaching search tonight. First time we've ever really done it since Ed Orgeron got fired. Uh, you know that on this show, at least, we have not done our hot board. Here's our favorite candidates. I'm going to do some of that tonight, although we won't have any fancy graphics to, co- to go along with it, uh, because I don't think that's where we are in the search. But I do think we're at the point where we can define some very, very key characteristics. And also, there's maybe a little bit different angle that I'm going to take on that than, at least than I've seen out there. I haven't read every piece of literature that's been written on the LSU coaching search yet. Speaking of literature... May 21st, I want to say, May 20th or 21st was the date. It was in the spring, and we were just doing some, well, some fun housekeeping sort of content on Late Kick, and we were talking about Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen, and I made a very passive comment. I mean, it was literally in passing. It was not the focal point of a segment. We didn't build everything around it, but some of you latched on to it for whatever reason. Normally, the stuff that I think will get traction here doesn't, And the stuff that's just kind of throwaway, it ends up going all over the place. So one of those things that I thought was a throwaway that went all over the place, we're going to revisit it tonight. Uh, Because I've forgotten about it, to be honest with you, but some of you hadn't. And so you brought it to my attention the other day, and I said, (laughs) we got a Thursday show to fill, don't we? All righty then. So we're going to do that tonight. Also, Renaissance Tour is headed to Tuscaloosa Saturday. Now, I know a lot of you are looking around and you're saying, why don't you go to Iowa State, Oklahoma State? Why aren't you at Indiana, Ohio State? Well, like I said, I've got to be here tomorrow, here meaning Nashville, because we got some stuff to do, so I needed to be within driving distance. Having said that, which is a phrase I'm trying to eradicate from the show, because I said it seven times last show. So after saying that, do you know what's on deck next week? We've got big matchups all over the place. We've got some hard decisions that are going to have to be made when we get back here from the Alabama-Tennessee game on uh, late Saturday night. I've got a cord pulling here. And uh, what I mean by that is Penn State's going to Ohio State. we got Michigan, Michigan State. If the Wolverines take care of business Saturday, that's going to be an undefeated matchup. We've got Georgia, Florida, and Jacksonville. I rarely ever miss that game. We've got Ole Miss going to Auburn. What if Ole Miss beats LSU? They're a nine-point favorite. I mean, that could be a huge SEC Western Division matchup. So, yeah, we got some big decisions to make. So hang with me on that. Also, some very good news about the podcast. The Late Kick Podcast, which, believe it or not, is different than what you're watching right now if you're on YouTube. Uh, So I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show because we don't want to front load with housekeeping notes. So let's dive in. Saturday is almost upon us. Week 8 is almost upon us. App State already beat Coastal Carolina last night, and uh, we're not really doing a segment on it because it was kind of expected. But I'll tell you what I am watching and what we could learn this Saturday. I want you to first keep an eye on this Ohio State game. Didn't talk about it a whole lot the other night. Indiana is playing host to Ohio State. Buckeyes are coming off the bye. The line on this game right now is 21. Buckeyes minus 21. Since the Oregon game, which in all likelihood, unless you are an Ohio State fan, is the last time you watched Ohio State play, they have beaten, in order, Tulsa 41-20, to 
Akron 59 to 7, Rutgers 52 to 13, and Maryland 66 to 17. Notice they have not given up more than 20 points. And I don't I can't off the top of my head recollect if any of those were defensive in nature, but they have not given up as a team more than 20 points. And so you've got one of two ways you can look at this right now. Either all of the early season and really latter 2020 issues in the secondary, it's all been rectified, or to a large degree it's been rectified, or maybe they haven't faced a team that could throw the ball on them, and maybe the problems are still there, or it could be somewhere in between. They did make some staff changes too. The reason I'm excited about this game is because we had a chance to find out. Indiana's not a team that has any business beating Ohio State outright, but I will tell you, uh, this game's going to be in the Ramen Noodle Express later, because it's a game I think the line's too big on. Uh, the model has this thing at about Ohio State minus 17 and a half. And so we are certainly going to move on Indiana. I'll go ahead and tell you now. Indiana plus 21 is one of our best bets of the week. Indiana, what we're waiting on is sort of the inverse of Iowa. Think about Iowa. You watched them all year, and you watched them be plus, plus, plus turnover battle. All year. Special teams points. All year. And inevitably, there was coming a Saturday when they were just going to be even. I didn't know they were going to be minus two or three in a turnover game. I just wanted to see what happened when they didn't win the turnover battle decisively. Well, not only did they not win it against Purdue, they lost it, and they lost a game 24-7. Well, Indiana is the total opposite. Indiana has been victimized by turnovers, and they have a lot to do with that, admittedly. They have been victimized by turnovers every game. Now, that doesn't mean that we can go back in time once they fix things and we can take away the losses. The losses are there. But what it does is it undervalues Indiana right now. You know how random turnovers are. There is coming a game where Indiana just plays it even. They don't turn the ball over. Or what if this happened? What if Indiana was plus one or plus two turnovers? What I think Saturday is going to include a healthy dose of. I'm going to roll the dice on Indiana not turning the ball over three or four times. But if that happens, I think there are going to be enough points scored and enough plays to be made against the Ohio State secondary by Indiana that if they're not constantly turning it over down inside the red zone, I think they're going to be able to hang within that three-touchdown margin at least. So keep an eye on that, because if I'm wrong, and Ohio State puts up another one of these like 41 to 16 or, or 52 to 13 scores, Buckeyes are going to be something to deal with. They will be anyway. I'm just very excited to see if they uh, have it inside themselves to cover this 21. Um, notice in that entire preview, I didn't even mention last year. I couldn't care less that Indiana played them close last year. That has nothing to do with my logic on that game. Illinois is at Penn State. Penn State is laying 23. Uh, what I am focused on here is not so much the outcome of this game. In fact, our model loves Penn State. Uh, obviously, I'm a little hesitant because you don't know what you have with Sean Clifford. That's what we're watching. That's what we're going to learn. These two teams, not Illinois and Penn State, but Penn State and Ohio State, they play each other a week from Saturday. And so everyone's wondering, in State College and beyond, what is the status of Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford? He had to exit the Iowa game. They had a bye week at the perfect time. Couldn't have drawn it up any better, given the circumstances. And now they come out of the bye week. But in practice this week, whereas the Penn State beat up there really didn't expect to be able to see anything, Sean Clifford was out there taking reps with the ones, and he was going through drills. I was reading over on Lions 24-7, the practice reports over there, they were kind of surprised that they were allowed to see what they saw. And then James Franklin in his press availability up there, when asked, is this the first time he's thrown all week? He said, nope. Huge information. I know that's just one word, but that's huge information. So I want to see Sean Clifford Saturday. I want to see how limited he is. I mean, I would be stunned if he was out there slinging the ball around 35 or 40 times, but how limited is he? And then can we gauge from Penn State's performance Saturday 
the level that we can expect him to play at as a quarterback, which is going to be obviously pivotal to their chances of pulling the upset next week in the horseshoe. Uh, Tennessee's at Alabama. This is the game I'm going to be at. Now, Bama is laying 25. It's a 7 o'clock game on ESPN. Tennessee defense. One of the worst assignments you can draw, having been on the field 101 plays just last week. But that's where they are right now. Now, Bama's defense, all of a sudden, presumably, could have turned a corner a little bit last week. They gave up nine. They have uh, really handled Mike Leach, has Nick Saban and his defensive staff the last few years. But if they're hitting a stride, it's really all I want to focus on in this game. If they're hitting a stride, then they will start very fast here. Because it has all the ingredients of a fast start. You've got a potential opponent whose defense is coming in gassed and coming in with very, very questionable legs underneath them. And then you've got your offense with the ability, especially if you call plays the right way, and if you don't, Nick Saban will call timeout and call it for you, to sort of bludgeon your opponent a little bit. Normally that takes a four-quarter um, game in order to manifest itself in the results on the scoreboard. This one, I think if that's the case and they start fast, I think you see it in the first half. So much so <clears throat> that I was looking at the first half number. And the first half line on this is Bama minus 14. Boy, I'd love 13 and a half. I don't think we're going to get it, but I'd love 13 and a half. I laid a little on Bama minus 14 first half. Not an official, just letting you know where I went there. Very interested to see what kind of start Alabama has there. What about this Oregon-UCLA game? We already talked about this one earlier this week a little bit. It's the first time all year, um, maybe even including that Ohio State game, it's the first time all year where I think there is a decided at least on paper, a decided matchup advantage on the line of scrimmage against Oregon. Because UCLA's got it. Run defense has been very good. I think it's top 10 nationally right now. And UCLA's running the ball. I mean, they've been running at 200-plus every week for like a month now. And if that's the case, I know you're looking at this line and you're saying, ooh, Oregon, I can get one point. I can get two points with them. I'm, I, our model thinks the number's right. Our model has UCLA at about two and a half or three. I am... Um, Man, I'm just looking at those, and I'm wondering, what, here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering where the advantage comes for Oregon, because where you want it to come from is quarterback. But that would require the guy who the home fans were booing just last week to really rise up on the road. Now, I am not some believer that Anthony Brown's a bomb, and you can just cast him aside, and they can't do anything with him. But what I am saying is without a run game, when UCLA can kind of gear up and know that they can probably stop the run with standard personnel and not have to dedicate extra guys to the bots, can Anthony Brown still win that game for you? That's probably the way it's going to have to happen for Oregon. And when you've also got the other side in UCLA, ability to extend drives, ability to stay on the field, move the chains, grind you and grind the clock, that's Oregon football. They play the style that Mario Cristobal wants to play. So that one's going to be interesting to watch. And the last one I wanted to retouch on is Clemson at Pitt. Pitt's still a three to a three-and-a-half-point favorite, depending on where you look. Caesars has it at three-and-a-half right now. It's a 3.30 game. It's in the middle of the afternoon. I was doing Mark Ryan's show earlier today, and he asked me, how many points do you think Clemson would need just kind of a minimum? Let's just set the minimum baseline. How many points do they need to have a shot to win this? I said 25. And the reason I got to that number so quick is because Pitt is averaging 48 per game. If I figure that you just cut them in half, they're at 24. And that's a minimum. I think Pitt's getting to 24. I can't promise you they're getting over it. I think they will get to 24. So 25 was a starting point for me. I don't care how you score the points, but I think 25 is the minimum for Clemson. So here's the problem. Uh, you Clemson fans, close your ears for a second. You already know these stats anyway. They are 114th in the country, are the Clemson Tigers, in points per game. 
Just told you, Pitt scores 48 per game. They have no problem. So how many going to be needed? I think 25 is the number you have to get to to have a shot to win this game if you're Clemson. Uh, Pitt has a two-game lead in their division right now. Pitt is in phenomenal position to make the ACC championship game. But I'm going to talk about something for oh, about 45 seconds here that I don't talk about hardly at all, unless Devontae Smith is in the room. And that is the Heisman Trophy. We don't talk Heisman a whole lot here. Um, we'll probably get someone to sponsor it, and we'll talk about it a little more uh, someday down the road, but we don't do it right now. But I just have a question for you. I hear every single playoff ranking show, I hear every single December, every single January, every single year that comes around, there is a group of college football fans that express the same sort of sentiment, and that is we are tired of the select few. We're tired of Bama or Ohio State or Clemson. We're tired of the same teams running away with things. We want parity. That's what we want. We want more teams in the mix. We want a hazier playoff picture. We want several more teams in the equation, kind of like you have this year. Hashtag renaissance season. Well, that's all well and good. I know why you guys feel like that, but my question is this. Why do you want the opposite with the Heisman race? Right now, you have no clue who the front runner is. Even Vegas doesn't know. I mean, they've got Bryce Young in this thing. Kenny Pickett for Pitt is in this thing, who I was about to mention. Uh, certainly, you got C.J. Stroud. I mean, Matt Corral. Here's how muddy the water is right now. Caleb Williams has played like six quarters. There are people, I heard Herb Street last week say, I think he's going to be in New York City. No one has the slightest clue where the Heisman race is, and yet I'm being told it's boring. I'm being told, oh man, this kind of sucks because no one's running away with it. No one's had their Heisman moment. Two most overrated words in the college football dictionary, by the way, Heisman moment. Don't care, don't care, don't care. Those are my two words towards those two words. You've got all the parody that you can say grace over in the Heisman race right now. Why is it not front and center? It's not front and center on this show because I don't particularly care about it all that much. But most of you do care about it, which stands to reason I should be talking about it more. But most of the other shows out there care about it. I don't, I don't, get, I don't get why some of you, not the ones watching this show, we're talking more about the casuals out there. Why can't the casuals just make up their mind? You got parody. You got parody here. Enjoy it. And enjoy your weekend, too. This is not the end of the show. This is just a ham-fisted segue into an Academy ad read. Academy Sports and Outdoors has been really good to us. By the way, I'll be in Tuscaloosa Saturday, and I will have a pocket full of Academy gift cards. First come, first serve. Uh, be respectful. Be mindful of everyone's personal space. Don't just be running up on me. But I'm going to have some Academy gift cards. Because like I told you last week, I asked them for some free stuff, and they said, here's some free stuff. They're, they're the uh, Hokies over there on the screen, by the way. So Academy Sports and Outdoors has long since established themselves in this program as your one-stop shop for all of your tailgating needs. But also, you got to keep in mind, as the seasons transition, Notre Dame is a perfect example. USC, <laughs> one of their players, I tweeted it out today. I can't remember who it was. One of their players, I mean, I kid you not, in the middle of a game week, one of their players is being interviewed by the USC beat writers. <laughs> and they asked him, you know, what do you think about playing in cold weather? And he said, well, cold weather, what are you talking about? What's the temperature going to be? And they said, low 40s. And he just, he gasped. Oh, what? What? Mm. Yeah, so the weather.com app, not exactly functional on all the phones of the USC players. Anyway, you're going to have to sit through that. Well, if you're at South Bend, you get to sit through that. You guys love that stuff. Just make sure you're decked out appropriately. Make sure you have the appropriate tailgate equipment to weather such weather. You can tell that's not an ad read because no one would ever write the word weather twice in the same sentence. Academy.com, if you can't get into a store, is the place to go. 
I mean, because it still looks the same whether you get it online or in person. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, they are the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12, of the SEC, of Late Kick, and really any conference you watch football in. Doesn't matter what they're the official of and what they're not, because Academy.com, at last check, works in all 50 states. So hit them up, Academy.com. Here we go. Okay, do I have enough battery left on the laptop? I do. So I've got a file I want to pull up here. Some of you said some mean things about me. And um, my mom's not the only one who gets upset. I have feelings too, guys. I got upset by this. Uh, that is in no shape, form, or fashion true. However, Colin, here's your endpoint. So I'm just scrolling through Twitter the other night, probably long after when I should have been in bed, and I see one of you has bumped a post from May. And it was from a segment that we did in May. And I said, what is this? This date's a long time ago. I don't even remember saying this. Well, where were you on May 21st? Because I'll tell you what we were apparently doing on this show. We were talking about Dan Mullen, and we were talking about Kirby Smart. And if you're listening on podcast right now, thank you. One of the top 10 football podcasts in the world as of this week. Thank you. But if you're listening, let me read for you what the viewers on YouTube are seeing. This is called a quote edit. Uh, Ted Hyman pumps out like 100 of them a day over here at 24-7. Does a really good job. Well, this is the one he pumped out of what I thought was a throwaway line. I thought nothing of saying this on Late Kick. And what I said was, quote, there are some Florida fans who would trade Dan Mullen for Kirby Smart. There ain't a Georgia fan walking the planet who would trade Kirby Smart for Dan Mullen. So innocuous. And you know how rarely I use that word. It's so innocent. That's common sense. That was like me saying, I think the sun's going to rise at 6.52 a.m., it's just a fact. There's no Georgia fan in his or her right mind that would trade Dan Mullen for Kirby Smart. I knew Florida fans. I was quoting unnamed Florida fans who had told me they would trade Dan Mullen for Kirby Smart. So this, I thought nothing of saying. Well, I said it. And then our, our graphics and editing department did what they do. And then this went out over the interweb. And then all of a sudden, we were viral. And this is not the uh, period of time that you really want to say such a word. But we were viral in the best of ways or worst of ways, depending on your perspective. So this goes out. And that's all well and good. You know, people tweet out stuff every day. Well, we got some replies under this, both on the 24-7 account and my account. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because things have totally gone off the rails at Florida. And Georgia's ranked number one in the country. I don't know that either result is the biggest shocker in the history of college football, but here we are. And so one of you had a lot of free time on your hands the other night, and you bumped this post. Well, here's what happens for those unfamiliar with the platform. When you bump a post, I also get to see all the replies underneath. And that's where the fun began. So I started scrolling through the replies, and I said, 1, 2, 3, 10, 20, 50. Wow, this will make a good segment on the show. Well, some of these people have lost their minds by thinking I had lost my mind allow me to share. Because it wouldn't be professional of me, would it, if I didn't give you guys credit for your responses. I want to acknowledge the audience at every turn. So let's acknowledge some of our esteemed audience members. And when I say audience members, I mean people who would never be watching the show. They just kind of drove by the tweet, they threw out their response, and then they moved on. We had, uh, we had the following. I'm just going to read them and react, and you can react along with me. I trust Mullen to win a really big game well before Kirby Smart. Problem is not necessarily the big game, friends. The problem is when you're favored by double digits against the likes of LSU. We continue. Mullen will be at Florida longer than Smart is at UGA. 
which is only true in the world where Kirby Smart takes an NFL job at this point. We continue again. What part of Florida beating Georgia in 2020 did you miss? I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it at all. I think the statement stood on its own regardless of the results last year. That was kind of the premise behind saying it. Even if, or even after, Florida has won the East, you had people that were openly just accepting the fact that the team that just won that division is still the second best program in the division. Not team, program in the division. Because the critical factors and the characteristics that you look at to define a program over a team have not really elevated all that much. I see Kyle Trask. He's good. Where's he going? Who's replacing him? I see Kyle Pitts. He's good. Where's he going? Who's replacing him? A lot of question marks in those blanks, as it turns out. Let's just roll on here, because it gets better and better. Give it a couple of years, they say, until Mark Richt 2.0 has made himself apparent in the form of Kirby Smart. Smart is underachieving, given the talent he has recruited. Well, I'm looking at the record right now. And this is as big a goose egg in the loss column as I have seen. Now, of course, this mentality would lead you to believe that if Kirby Smart goes undefeated regular season and they make it to the national championship game and they lose by three, that means he's underachieved. Which, of course, is insanity. But that kind of mentality, you know, someone, in other words, who's misguided enough to say this is certainly misguided enough to think that. Here's one of my personal favorites. You just be saying, just to say it. That's our in-house editing. That's how we censor things around here. Uh, Now, I am partially guilty of that, but not in this particular case. What are you smoking? Can I get some of that? Because it's some primo stuff. Colin, do you know my deal? You know my supplier? Because I don't. I have no clue whomst he or she is. We continue. Who? Who in their right mind has said this? Your own fan base. That's who I was quoting, friend. L-O-L. S-T-F-U. Acronyms are plenty in this one. There are no Florida fans who want smart over Mullen. Hashtag false. Because you're a moron, and morons don't know much about football, Josh Pate, you are exactly what's wrong with the current state of media. I am the enemy in Gainesville because I'm the one who didn't have you ready two years in a row to play LSU. Is there a coach who is as bad as Kirby Smart but gets as much love as he does from freaks like Josh. I actually am not seeing this for the first time until now. Let me, let me uh, regroup here. Colin, when's the last time I got called a freak? And this has several connotations. And, and to be honest, I don't fit any of them. So let's reread this. Let's re-rack it, as they say in the biz. Is there a coach who is as bad as Kirby Smart but gets as much love as he does from freaks like Josh in the recruiting industry that have no idea about actual football? Probably not. If this is actual football, if this is what we're calling actual football, where's the fake football? Like, where's the fake version? Because this is actual football. So actual football would lead me to believe that I'm wrong on this, so I'm living in the fake world. What is it like in the world of actual football? What is that like? Is Is it like this? Is it like, you know, you toss a shoe, you get upset, you don't live and learn, you go get beat by Kentucky despite the fact that they can't put 100 total on the board on you through the air, and then you don't learn from that either, actual football. And then you go to Baton Rouge, and they splatter you. I mean, let me, let me refresh your memory. you got the worst rushing offense in Power 5 football. Chunk, 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 chunk. Track marks all over your face. Is that real football? Is that actual football? If so, I'm not playing favorites here. I'll hang out with Kirby Smart in the fake football world. Because that's the last place I want to be, is watching LSU hang nearly half a hundred on me. 
as the head coach is on the way out the door anyway. These are just some of the many quotes that I had that I, I got the pleasure at this point of scrolling through the other night. And to be honest with you, I was not going to do this segment, but I had a lot of encouragement from certain message boards out there. Then I saw this. So that was only part of the fun I wanted to have. So then I'm on that same platform that really does nothing but get me in trouble. And I saw something out of Jacksonville yesterday. I believe it was yesterday as we sit here and talk live Thursday. And I can't remember what radio station it was down there. But uh, it's not necessarily important because this is not the first time I've seen or heard this sentiment expressed. But the expression essentially was the recruiting expectations are too high at Florida. So here's what's happening. Dan Mullen does not recruit at a high level. That's established. We all get that. Uh, Even his defenders do not hail him as some great recruiter. They would merely tell you he'll win on Saturday as long as he's in the ballpark talent-wise. Debatable, but I understand where that comes from. But Dan Mullen's not an elite recruiter, and at least, at least on the outside looking in, it doesn't appear that he's made a ton of aggressive moves to rectify that. Now, that's a, that's a problem that's separate, but what was said, and this is not an isolated statement. I've heard several people say this, oh, the expectation level's too high, because Florida fans don't like it, nor should they. They will not settle for it, nor should they. I'm right there with them. You got some folks saying, as the University of Florida, you shouldn't be expected to recruit at as high a level as Kirby Smart is at Georgia which, as we all know, is also asinine. To that, I responded this. What would Kirby Smart do if he were at Florida? If the answer is he would recruit pretty much the same, then your expectation isn't too high. Because that means the limiting factor is not your internal resources and your state of being as a program. The limiting factor is the guy currently in the driver's seat. And the changes that he is either unable or unwilling to make. Either way, it's a problem. But I looked at that and I said, how in the world would Kirby Smart be any different if he were at Florida? Florida's not the problem. And by the way, have we forgotten what Urban Meyer did at that same university the moment he walked in? Urban Meyer came from Utah. Utah's halfway to Japan. And he came in having no direct correlation to the region. Urban Meyer hadn't been to Florida for anything more than a vacation in his life. He didn't even have ties down here. And he dominated in recruiting. Were the expectations too high? What are we talking about? So then I had someone who, at the very least, backed up their response with logic and data. I had someone come back, and they said, well, I don't know that Kirby Smart would do as good if he was at Florida, because there is a misconception that there's more talent around the University of Florida than there is around Georgia. And then he showed the scatter plot, he showed the data points, and if you're going to disagree with me, but you bring logic-based reasoning to the equation... I will never hate on you. I'll never bash you. I can respectfully disagree with it, and I respectfully disagree with this, only because I don't think geography with a cat like Kirby Smart or Nick Saban or Ryan Day is a limiting factor at all. State lines might as well not even exist. Like, Kirby Smart's every bit as effective going into Texas as he is going into Kennesaw. That's the nature of a national alpha recruiter. There are only a few of them out there now, but they are the exception to the rule. Kirby Smart's the exception to that rule. Nick Saban is the exception to that rule. So what Kirby Smart would do is he'd go to Florida and he'd destroy it. He'd tear it up just like he is at Georgia right now. And then as I was scrolling throughout this entire landfill of replies that I had on that tweet, of course you had the usual, well, you know, Kirby is not as good an X's and O's coach as Dan Mullen. Let me suggest something. That can be true. For all I know, that can be true. I know most people think that couple of things can be reality here, though. That can be true 
and the people saying it also have no earthly way to prove it, no earthly way to diagnose it. And what I've always made this akin to is, like if I were watching a space shuttle and it couldn't get off the launch pad, I could say, those idiots at NASA, they screwed up again. They don't know anything about actual rocket science. And I mean, technically, I guess I'd be right because they were supposed to get the rocket into space and it didn't take off right. But do you know what it would be like if I sat down with one of them? I mean, they wouldn't even get past the instruction manual of the knowledge that exists in their head before I'd have saucers for eyes. And likewise, you could, for all I know, be right when you tell me Dan Mullen's a better X's and O's game day coach. I'm about to tell you why it's irrelevant in a second. But you could be right when you say that. But most of the people that I hear say that to me are wholly inequipped to actually get on a grease board or turn the lights down and get in the film room and take the laser pen and actually diagnose it for me. So usually I dismiss that, even if there's a chance it's true. Here's why I don't really care. I've always thought in this particular comparative analysis of Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart, I've always thought it was kind of misguided. Like I've always thought to myself, if I got an A or a B, a side I'd rather be on in that equation, I'd rather be on the side of Kirby Smart. Like, if you're telling me that one guy's a great game day tactician, but the other, he's an all-world recruiter who's also a pretty good coach in his own right, I want to be on the side where the better players are. Because if I put Richard Petty in a station wagon and I put you in the monster truck, guess how much it matters that he's a better driver than you? It really doesn't. This is not chess. This is football. You get to hit people. You get to knock people over. You get to run at people. There is a physical element. When you're consistently bigger and faster and stronger than the other guy, it's not a guaranteed win, but it's absolutely the side I'd rather be on than the alternative where everything has to go right and i got to thread every needle. No thanks. Especially when I'm at Florida where it shouldn't be that way to begin with. I shouldn't have to thread the needle. I, I shouldn't have to wring every ounce of liquid out of the sponge. I'm Florida, man. I've had number one recruiting classes here and nothing's changed. The expectation isn't too high. The current leadership's not good enough. The current product's not good enough. Let's move on. That game's happening next week. It's not even a Georgia-Florida preview. I fear that the Georgia-Florida preview could go sideways. That's why I wanted to talk about it in a more abstract view tonight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The LSU coaching search rolls on, not nearing a conclusion per se, but rolls on nonetheless. I wanted to touch on this for a couple of minutes. There are two non-negotiables that I see here. Uh, what you have to do if you're trying to hire someone is before you just go out there and you start looking at resumes and you like this one, this one, and this one, you got to define the critical factors, the critical traits, the characteristics that you're looking for. 
following this coaching search as close as we're going to be following it, let me tell you the two that I think are paramount, above and beyond, and I think this is exactly what's being expressed by Scott Woodward and his very, very, very close circle of like one, maybe, when it comes to what they're looking for. Number one, this is a non-negotiable. You have to have someone who is all about structure, all about organization, and it's proven. Someone who has a proven organizational model and someone who is proven in building structure. When Saban came there, it's not that he just got a bunch of great athletes. It's not that he built a fence around Louisiana. He brought an NFL structure in there. So much so that I'm a believer, and some people in the scouting world are a believer, that Les Miles and even Ed Orgeron were still benefiting from the structure that was put in place, in some cases over a decade after Saban left. That's how sound the structure he built there was. you got to give me that. It's a non-negotiable. Number two, to me, this is also a non-negotiable. you got to have someone who meshes with the culture there. I'm not telling you you got to have someone from Louisiana. I'm telling you you have to have someone whose personality and whose characteristics as an individual and as a coach are also reflected in the characteristics that make up the culture of Louisiana. I'm saying Louisiana, not a region. Louisiana is a region. It is its own region. And so what makes up the people there, what makes up the identity of the program, what you have to have to win at LSU, i got to have that embodied in my head coach. If we can check those two boxes, and I have no reason to believe they can't, then the next two are going to take care of themselves. You can pick which kind of system you want to run. You're going to be able to hire any coordinator you want, defensively, offensively, and recruiting is going to take care of itself. Because if I have those first two boxes checked, if I have organizationally top to bottom everything I need, and if i got a culture fit as a head coach, there's no limit to what we can do in the following categories. Who am I going to hire as a receivers coach? You know, uh, How's recruiting at the quarterback position going to look for 2024? All that takes care of itself. Those are dominoes a little down the line that will be knocked down if I get those first two checked. The only thing I'm telling you with confidence in the whole LSU coaching search is be careful putting your list together and only including college names on it. As I said the other night, and I'll reiterate, and this is not just my thought, this is me quoting someone semi-in-the-know, this is not viewed as one of the top jobs in college football. This is viewed as one of the top jobs in football, period. And I am speaking with pretty close to as much certainty as I could that there are people in the NFL, head coaches and the like, there are people in the NFL who, if Scott Woodward wanted, I believe he'd have a serious shot at landing. That's not mentioning names in particular, because I don't think we're at that stage yet. I'm telling you the perception of the LSU job, as highly as you may think of it, it's even more highly thought of in coaching circles. So much so that there are some in the coaching profession that could have their choice of either that would view that as better than all but a few NFL head coaching jobs. That's the caliber of job, to be clear, that we're talking about here. So when I started talking a couple of months ago about Orgeron potentially being let go, and I gave you that much lead time, it's because behind the scenes, that's what the talk has been. This is not a ripple effect. Okay, This is dropping a boulder in the lake. Huge, like tsunami effect throughout college football and what this could mean in the coaching market. Now, my personal feel on this, and there are exceptions to this rule, to be perfectly clear, it is my personal feel. If I'm running LSU, if I'm an LSU fan, I do not want to give you the opportunity to prove yourself or cut your teeth or learn the hard lessons on my dime. I want someone who's already learned the lessons. I want someone whose teeth are already sharpened. I want someone who can take off and go 100 miles an hour from day one. There are exceptions to this rule. It has worked for Kirby at Georgia. 
It has worked for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. It has worked for Ryan Day at Ohio State. Those are exceptions to the rule. Those were perfect, ready-made situations, and you happen to have the perfect candidate there. There are also 10 times as many case studies of failed experiments where a program wanted to have the next Kirby or the next Ryan Day or the next Lincoln Riley, and they fell flat on their face. Because the fact of the matter is, most guys who have never been a head coach aren't ready for that spotlight. Most guys who have even just been a coach a few years aren't ready for that spotlight. That's my personal feel. I'm not telling you that's how Scott Woodward feels or what I've heard. I'm telling you, if I'm looking at LSU, I want someone who's been around the block a time or two and has done it and has proven it. So there are exceptions. That would be my rule. So the name's floating around out there right now. You're seeing James Franklin a lot. If Harris County High School comes open, you're going to see James Franklin's name. That doesn't mean it's not serious. I'm just telling you, Franklin's represented by the right folks. His name's always out there. Do I think there's validity? I have no clue if there's validity there. Uh, Billy Napier is a name that's going to be really hot. I got mixed feelings about Billy Napier. I think he's a wonderful guy, but I also think he's a wonderful football guy because there are a lot of nice guys who would fail miserably at LSU. I think Billy Napier is a good football guy. My point of concern with Napier would go back to what I just said my personal philosophy is. Is he proven enough? I don't want to take a risk on this hire. I want a sure thing. I'm LSU. I don't have to take risks. I can afford, literally, to go land a sure thing. That doesn't mean Napier wouldn't be a grand slam down the road. It just means it's a bigger risk. And that's all I'm telling you. I'm not anti-Billy Napier by any stretch. It would just be a risk. Mario Cristobal is a name that's being thrown around. Certainly, I think the culture fit would be there. You would certainly have great recruiting there. I'm a believer that he can build a rock-solid organizational structure. I think the folks watching Mario Cristobal right now I think the biggest concern with them is they're looking at Oregon and and they've seen the recruiting and they've seen the talent start to pile up. I think football product is not elevated to the level that some people want if they're looking to hire a sure thing that some people would like to see. Now, the response to that could be, we'll just get you a rock star offensive coordinator and be done with it. Maybe it's that easy. Um, History says it's not that easy, but maybe it is that easy. Mel Tucker is the most fascinating name here. Notice I have not mentioned any NFL guys. Mike Tomlin's name is floating around right now. Like, I have no informed take on that other than I would clap. I would stand on the desk and clap for him. Oh, by the way, before I get to Mel Tucker, a lot of you are cold on Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien is a guy in the coaching world that is viewed infinitely in higher regard than in the fan bases around college football. Like, a lot of people are sort of turned off. Bill O'Brien's the OC at Alabama right now. Former Penn State head coach, former Houston Texans head coach. Things went sideways for him in Houston. Uh, the whole general manager thing. and Houston was a mess organizationally. Bill O'Brien was a 500 head coach in the NFL. That's hard. That's hard. It's about what Nick Saban was actually in the NFL. That's hard to do. But that's not why people think so highly of him. People think highly of Bill O'Brien for something that has a lot more to do with LSU. When he was at Penn State, remember the context. When O'Brien was at Penn State, it was right after the Sandusky stuff. And when O'Brien was at Penn State, they handed down the punishment. They gutted the program. Penn State should have hurled off a ravine uh, to the bottom of a lake that they didn't get out of for like a decade. And O'Brien didn't let it happen. And they stayed at an altitude, cruising-wise, that they should not have been able to stay at. People were amazed by it. People are still amazed by it. Like, they didn't win the Big Ten. Like, they weren't in contention for anything. I don't think they were allowed to anyway. People remember what he did, given the circumstances there. And people in the college world, a lot of them have always believed, like if O'Brien gets another chance, 
and he doesn't have a mess to deal with, O'Brien's going to be a winner. So I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know that he's even on anyone's radar. I'm telling you, if you hear the name Bill O'Brien, my suggestion would be don't be so quick to eliminate him or go, ugh, just because he didn't get it done as an NFL head coach. A lot of guys winning a lot of games in college that would flame out entirely in the NFL. But the Mel Tucker, to put a bow on this, the Mel Tucker possibility, that one fascinates me. Because Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker is old. He's like in his 40s or 50s. Like he's been around. He's been around a while. Only recently has he got his shot as a head coach and he's kind of rocketed up a lot of people's boards pretty quickly. So on one hand, I've told you, I want someone who's shown a long track record of sustained organizational development. Well, Mel Tucker doesn't have that. But Mel Tucker's also not a 29 or 30 year old head coach. Mel Tucker's been around some of the best. He's worked for Saban. He's worked for Kirby Smart. Now he's doing his own thing. And he's also shown, (laughs) at least uh, in short term, the ability to own the transfer portal. There's no other way to put it. He's owned the transfer portal. I would suggest you be patient with Mel Tucker because Tucker's sample size is going to be small no matter what. Mel Tucker's got a pivotal stretch coming up. They're going to play Michigan. They got some big games coming up. And so most of the juice behind Mel Tucker's name, like it or not, is going to be predicated on what he's doing in 2021. I'm not a huge fan of that formula, but that's what it's going to be predicated on. Mel Tucker's seriousness in the minds of many will probably be determined over the next month or so of this football season. So that's where the LSU coaching search is. It's a very good thing that there's not a lot of information to be had out there. Okay, we got to wrap this up and we got to do it with our best bets. I, um, I feel too confident about these, to be honest with you, but here we go. Notre Dame minus six and a half. That was the first game we moved on. We still like it at seven. They are playing host to Southern Cal. Pitt minus three. We love Pitt. They are playing host to Clemson. Iowa State minus six and a half. We love Iowa State. It goes without saying we love everybody that we're going to bet on. Iowa State minus six and a half. We also like that one at seven. They are playing host to Oklahoma State. Minnesota minus four and a half. We also like. Love them? Like them? Yeah, I think we love them. They are playing host. A lot of home teams here. They are playing host to Maryland. And we're taking Indiana plus 21 at home against Ohio State. Indiana plus 21. Minnesota minus four and a half. Iowa State minus six and a half. Pitt minus three. Notre Dame minus six and a half. As I told you guys to open the show, I was informed yesterday that we have a top 10 football podcast in the world right now. Football meaning NFL too. And there are a lot of heavy hitting podcasts with some huge marketing money behind them. Believe me, that we have hopped, skipped, and jumped right over. And as you know, Podcast is not even our main platform, but it is a key platform. Uh, You can get all the replays of the shows on there. You can get two exclusive mailbag episodes per week, except for this week. We only had one because we did the roundtable, in case you're wondering where that was this morning. But the reason I'm saying that is because there's no other reason for that happening than you. We don't spend any money on it. I'm telling you, we've we've never asked. Colin, I don't know what would happen if we asked for a marketing budget. We've never asked for one. You're the reason we don't need one. So I I put out several thank yous per week, but a specific thank you right now, because when you're scrolling through those um, worldwide charts, you're not supposed to see a show like ours in the top 10. We hopped Tom Brady's show, by the way. Tom Brady has not had a whole lot go right for him lately, so we've victimized him once again. Uh, But thank you so much for that. So I gotta go watch the Braves win the pen. Let me be real with you. I'm I'm gonna be out of pocket for the next few hours. So if you don't have a, a dog in the hunt this late in the Major League Baseball season, pull for Atlanta. Hashtag chop chop. For Director Colin, for our entire crew, I'm Josh Pate. 
Thanks so much. Enjoy the games this weekend. I will see you guys at Alabama. I'll see you in Tuscaloosa Saturday. Until Sunday night, have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.